going to look at the subject of, uh, of walking by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 uh, to 18. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 uh, to 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the last time I spoke, I tried tried to explain freedom. It's in another sermon. You'll have to hook it up either on iTunes or you'll have to listen to it uh, from our website. And the, and the description that I gave was that it was God's desire f- for us all that we have the opportunity, the ability and the desire, what will give us the greatest satisfaction now and in a thousand years. And we, if you look in your Bible, we see in Galatians 5 verse 13 that we're actually called to that freedom. So the freedom that I was talking about then is a desire of God. He wants us to experience freedom, not slavery, not bondage. You were called to it. I called you to it. But it goes on, it says, but through love serve one another. In other words, we're called in our freedom and desire to seek the happiness of others with the same zeal that we seek our own. But if you take this command seriously, it seems to me that it is against our natural inclinations, as it were. It seems to me quite impossible that... And I'll just explain it from my perspective. Uh, Please understand this is me. I'm sure that it might not be you, but this is just me. That I should get up in the morning and feel as much concern for your needs as my own seems to be beyond my power. And if this is the Christian life, caring for others as I care for myself, then I have to admit I find that quite hard. In fact, when I was looking at it, I found it nigh on impossible. But Paul's answer to this is found in Galatians 5, 16 to 18. And he says that the the secret is in learning to walk, verse 16, by the Spirit. The Christian life, we need to put it out, is not easy, it is hard. But we must remember that we are not called to live it by ourselves. Although it's hard, we're not to be loners in the kingdom of God. We must live it by the Spirit of of God or with the Spirit's power enabling us to live. If you take uh, uh, Galatians uh, 5 verse 13, the command of love should not be a burden sort of placed on our back. I exist to not only love myself, as it were, and feel that, but to love you. It's not a burden. But what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is that when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, when we walk by the Spirit, we can love. 
We can do it. It becomes something that is not an impossibility. And people who try and love without relying on the Spirit will fail because love comes from God. Love's not easy. Love is hard. But the good news is that this is not our work. It is a work of God. So therefore, what we need to begin to do this morning is learn to walk by the Spirit. So I want to build um, today's sermon around three questions. And they're the standard questions that, that preachers put together. And I was a bit frustrated at this, but I couldn't find another way around it. So I've just gone for the standard stuff, okay? And those three questions are, what, why, and how? You know it's standard because Tim Harmon followed the same format just a few times. Do you remember that? It was the sermon before last, okay? I'm just following you as my example, okay? So walking by the Spirit. What is walking by the Spirit? Why is it crucial to walk by the Spirit? And how very practically can we walk by the Spirit? So firstly then, here we go. What is walking by the Spirit? If you look, there are two images in the context which shed light on the meaning of walk by the Spirit. The first is verse 18 where it says, If You are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. If Paul said, if you follow the Spirit, you are not under the law, it would have been true. But just for the technical people here, he uses a passive voice, if you are led, which emphasizes the Spirit's work and not ours. The Spirit is not like the pace setter in an 800 meter race. Have you ever seen those things? where suddenly you've got this thing, this race that is uh, appearing. It's an international race. It's not the Olympics or anything like that. And they employ a pace setter. The pace setter is never going to finish the race. The pace setter is going to start off and everybody that thinks that they've got a chance in winning this race hooks up behind them for at least the first 400 or 600 metres. They go like glory. And the people that have got the chances, they fix him behind it, and then the pace setter just basically bogs off, really, and they try and do their best. He, the Spirit is not like this. The Spirit is a leader like an engine on a train. What do I mean by that? If we, if we have the Holy Spirit as some sort of pace setter in front of us, and we, we need to attain to the, the work of the Holy Spirit, then what we're going to do is follow in his strength, in, in our strength. We're going to think, I must keep up with what the Spirit is doing. But if we are led and pulled through by his power, it's a different thing. So walk by the Spirit simply means that we stay hooked up to the source of power and go wherever he leads. The engine's in charge, not you. And he's the power, not you. That's the difference. Because what people try and do sometimes is they try and hook up to the power, but they don't want to go where the engine's going. They want to go where they want to go. I want to hook up to the power and go where I... No, that's not it. You get hooked up to the power and you go where he's going. He sets the destination. 
The second image in our walk in, is in, in, of our walk in the Spirit is in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You know those verses. And if our Christian walk is to be a walk of love and joy and peace, then walk in the Spirit must mean that we bear fruit of the Spirit. But again, it's fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work that's emphasized and not ours. He bears the fruit in us. It isn't that we bear it and we demonstrate it and we get the credit for it. No, He is in us. We are following Him. We're led by Him. We're filled by Him. He shows the fruit. We, we are showing stuff from Him and not from us. In fact, the congratulations for, for any of those things should not come to us, but go to Him. When the Spirit works, it glorifies Jesus. So therefore, whatever we are demonstrating is of Him. You can see this in John 15, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither uh, can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So to walk by the Spirit means that you abide in the vine. You keep yourself connected to the living Jesus, you don't cut yourself off from the flow of the Spirit. So in answer to the first question, what is walking by the Spirit? The answer is being led by the Spirit, but bearing fruit of the Spirit, but the work of the Spirit is emphasized. Yet you see there's a command for us to do something. Our wills will be deeply involved. We must want to be coupled up to this engine. We must want to abide in this vine. So there are things that we can do that will attach us to the power of God. And there are things that we can do which will detach us from the power of God. So let's look then why it is crucial to walk by the Spirit. The passage gives two reasons, one in verse 16 and one in verse 18. In verse 16, there is an incentive for walking by the Spirit. It says this, that when you do this, you will not gratify the desire of your flesh. The NASB says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. I like that version because of the words carry out. If we're filled by the Spirit, we won't carry out these things that we struggle with. So, the first reason why we should walk by the Spirit is that when we do, the desires of our flesh are just simply overcome. Now, I want to try and explain flesh. You're going to have to bear with me. We're just going to have a deep moment, okay? So this is the point now. I know you've just drifted a bit. This is where you just engage, and then you drift a bit later, okay? So this is where you just lean forward slightly. You give me your attention. You rub your chin, just as Andrew is doing. That's, that's fantastic. 
then you close your eyes later. Okay. The flesh, as Paul uses it, well, most of the time, although not always, (laughs) does not simply refer to the physical side of you. Why do I say that? Because Paul does not regard the body as evil itself. The flesh here is what we might describe the ego. It feels emptiness and it uses resources or finds resources that it can in its own power and fills that emptiness. The flesh is the I. The flesh is the part of me that tries to find satisfaction with anything that is not from God. So the I does not go to God's mercy, God's grace, God's power. In fact, it doesn't go from God. It thinks and it dreams and it longs for satisfaction and answers for that satisfaction out of God. Sometimes in Christians, it clones that thing with a sense of the Lord's will. So it said, it is the Lord's will for me to buy a 65 million pound yacht and live in it. No, it ain't. You've just used the Lord's will. That's rubbish. It isn't. What is happening there is the I has come. I, I know that when I've got this yacht and I'm bombing along the Mediterranean, I will be satisfied. Do you see the eye? How the eye works? Now you can do that right from up to a lollipop if you want to, but we won't go into lollipops. Okay. It is, it is the eye that, that looks for anything but God to fulfill our satisfaction. That this will give me worth, that this will give me fulfillment, that this will give me satisfaction, this will give me enjoyment, this will make me stirred and happy. All those sort of things. And you can hear it because people say something like this. They say, when, then. You've heard that how many times? When this happens, then this will happen. It's the I. It's the ego. But Paul crosses over. This is the moment. So in Galatians 5.25, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and desires. That's the I, the ego. Now, if you compare this with Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I know is the flesh. I live by, the, by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, in 2.20, the flesh is used in the less usual uh, meaning, referring to the body existence and not itself, who's not itself evil, I now live in the flesh. But the important thing to notice that in 5.24, the flesh is crucified, and in 2.20, I am crucified. And that's why in this point, we, de- we are defining flesh in its negative usage as an expression of I or the ego. But I want you to notice in 2.20, that since the old fleshly ego is crucified, a new I lives. And the peculiar thing about this new I is that it lives by faith. So I needs to be replaced by faith. How do I know that? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The flesh 
is the ego which feels emptiness and actually lowers the idea of it being satisfied by faith. Why does it loathe that idea? Because it comes up with loads of other ideas that go before faith. That's why. It doesn't like depending on God. In fact, the flesh prefers to use any resources in its own power to fill its emptiness. You see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we're nearly through. Where it says, Paul says this, The mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, but it does not submit to God's law. So the basic rule of the flesh, and the way that you can tell it, is that it is unsubmissive. It is not going to submit to God. It's going to do what I want anyway. I, 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 I. That's what it's going to do. Me, 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 me. I want to do this, and I, this is going to make me happy. It is unsub. You can test this with people, and David will accredit this, really. You can test it. If you sometimes say to people, you know, this is what it says in the Word of God, they will come back to you and say, what are you doing? What do you think that you are saying to me? They reject the word of God. We've seen this, haven't we? Reject the word of God because, and they are unsubmissive to it. And actually what they do then is get personal because what does I do? He always blames the other I. You see that? That's how it works. How can I tell her? Oh, I'm off now because he upset me. Come on. No, the I is always consumed with I and therefore will be consumed with another I. The basic mark then of the flesh is unsubmissive. It does not want to submit to God's absolute authority. The flesh says this, I do it my way. That's what the flesh said. So, it's not surprising then that you need the Spirit. Yeah? Why do you need the Spirit? Because of the I. Because most of us have a problem with I, don't you? God, blow me. Okay, so, but here's the good news. God's spirit, we, okay, you can relax now, you can go back to sleep. Okay, but God's spirit conquers our flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Now, let me try and explain this in real terms. The main thing to see from this verse is that the Christian experience is a struggle within. It is a struggle within. If you said to yourself, well, when he was describing the flesh, he sort of was beginning to describe me. And you might have said, well, you know, some of that pull, you know, that was, that's, I feel that sometimes. That doesn't mean that you are not a Christian. I think a Christian is, well, a Christian is not one who experiences, um, who stops experiencing bad desires. So when I become a Christian, I just become holy. If I have a, you know, I, you know, there it was, the day that I met Jesus on the Damascus Road or in, in, in my case at Bingley Hall in Birmingham, I turned to be a monk. What is that? And actually what we've learned is that monks experience bad desires, don't we? I mean, that's in the press as it is. In fact, not only do they experience bad desires, they do it. So we can just cast that aside. Actually, a Christian is a person who is at war with those desires. That's the issue. 
And the war is between the I and the power of the Spirit. And the battle for that is in our hearts and in our mind. The eye comes up, the spirit comes up. The eye comes up, the spirit comes up. And suddenly you feel like, blooming at you know, my, my, whole, my whole head is at battle. Yeah, that's right. That is absolutely right. Conflict in the heart and mind. Even though in the middle of this conflict, you long for the day that the flesh is utterly defeated and only pure and wholesome thoughts fill your brains, you actually wonder whether... Am I going to live like this forever? Do you know what my worry is? My worry is not of people that are coping with a war in their hearts. My worry is people that have no war in their hearts. That don't feel anything in regard to the rising of I. The I rises up in, in, in a massive sort of blood and they've got no idea and you can see it, they can't see it. To me, that is more worrying than people battling with the spirit and then an I. Having that sort of stuff. That's more, I, I'm just worried about no war. Because I believe that when, when Jesus ascended and he sent the spirit... Part of the work of the Spirit was to do battle with our flesh. I've come to help you with this flesh bit. So I want you to take heart. I want you to be, if you have come this morning thinking, my head sometimes is just like a battlefield. It just is balmy. You know, I, one moment I'm, you know, and then the next moment I'm like this. I just want to, I want to say to you, yeah, that's right. I want to encourage you. The sign of the Spirit's work is not that you have bad desires, but that you are at war with them. So how do you know the Spirit is on you or working with you? I'm at war with the eye. But when you look at verse 16 and 17, together, with the, together the main point is not war. The main point is actually victory for the Spirit. Verse 16 says that when you walk by the Spirit, you will not let those bad desires come to maturity. When you walk by the Spirit, you will have an ability to nip them in the bud. That when you walk by the Spirit, new God desires will fill your heart. They will be, they will be something that satisfies you more, thrills you more, gives you more enjoyment. And you will win. Not that there isn't a war, but that the winner of the war is the Spirit. In fact, that's what I think it means in verse 24, when he says, the flesh is crucified, that the decisive battle has been fought and won by the Spirit. The Spirit, if you like, has captured the capital. It's broken the back of the resistance movement. The flesh is as good as dead. It's doom is sure. The, the, the outward lying pockets of resistance can be dealt with. If you like, the guerrillas may try and rise up, but they will lay down their arms. The trouble is that that means that we will need to fight back daily. And the only way of fighting back is not I versus the other I. It's I versus the spirit. Because it's the Spirit that gives us victory. The only way to do it is by the Spirit. 
So so the first reason we must walk by the Spirit is that when we do, the flesh will be well and truly conquered. It says that God's Spirit creates a law-fulfilling fruit. Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean... This, this does not mean that you don't have to fulfill God's law. You do. That's what verse 13 and 14 says. Through love be servants of one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Romans 3 verse 4 says this. It says, uh, God condemned sin in flesh in order that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, according to, not, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Therefore, not being under law doesn't mean that we don't have to fulfill the law. It means that we are led by the locomotive of the Spirit. That we, we cruise along the railroad track, as it were, by the Spirit. It, we don't climb these things on, on, uh, out of a legalistic requirement. Let me give you some examples, then we'll go back into this text. Take worship, for instance. How do you worship? What is the answer to worship? Well, the answer is that you must all stick your hands above your shoulders. That will do it. You must all jig a little bit, smile a little bit, Give a little wiggle every now and again. You know, that sort of stuff. Make your feet move. You must, if you're, if you're clear, take your hands out your pockets every now and again. That will do it. If I had a preacher tell me to do that once, in, a, in the middle of a service, he said to me, he, he didn't say to me actually, he just suggested that the people might, we were 400 people. He said that he, said that he didn't find it was respectable to keep your hands in your pockets. So I looked round. I thought, I'm the only one. It must be me. <laughs> And I was married with kids, and I thought, what is that? But it's a str- you just think, what is that? How do you do that? And actually, when people tell you to worship, sometimes worship leaders get up here, don't they? And they, they do this stuff, and they go, sort of, come on, worship! <laughs> they growl at you, as if you've got something. And then you get sort of like, you know, read your Bible. Do you know, it is true, you've heard me say this before, if ever I'm going to fall asleep, why is it when you've got your Bible like that that suddenly the words pale into... (laughs) And you find, you know, 15 minutes later you wake with that sort of thing that goes... (coughs) And you go, was that me? And you think, what am I doing? And you've set dedicated time to be with the Lord. Why is it at that point? Why is it that when you think, I'm going to pray... The phone rings. What is it with that? That even when you pray and you think, and you listen to people, we used to have a guy called Eric Biggs in our church in Rugeley. Eric Biggs was next to the Pope. He could pray the most sanctified prayer. And if ever you prayed next to him, all that he did is move you into condemnation and guilt. The only way that I could pray in my youth was to go locked up in a room. And then when I prayed, I prayed utter rubbish and heresy. I don't know whether you've ever done that. I've prayed that Jesus died and rose again and rose and died again. I've been sealed with the spirit and all sorts of stuff. I've just made such a hash. And then suddenly what happens is Rupert stands up and what he does is he says, we want you to give, we gave, we gave a thousand of these. 
Not only did we give a thousand of these, but we are looking forward to going out next week and giving them all. And a third are sitting there thinking, when Nigel's finished, I'm going to the loo. Because, and they say such things, don't they? You know, evangelism is not for me. And if you look at all these things, actually every one of the things that I've said is a command. And to be fulfilled in the word of God. So it tells us that we should worship the Lord, doesn't it? That we should read our Bibles, that we should pray, we should go to all the world. How on earth are we going to do this well? There is only one answer, and it is the Spirit of God. How do you get people to worship the Spirit? How do you get people to love their Bibles? How do you get people to pray? How do you get people to go into the world? How do you get them to do that? By being filled with the Spirit. There is only one answer. Why does that change? Because when the Spirit is upon us and we're led by the Spirit and we're filled by the Spirit, those things are the things that we should do and become laws. When we're filled with the Spirit, they become our desire. They become the thing that we want to do. So over suddenly the word of God is electric. It's sort of, I must get into it, must get into it. You want to think, pray, not pray. God, I've got to pray for worship. You think, must get there. You know, that sort of hands out of pockets. Go, whoop, it's sort of, all things happen. He just, oh, it begins. Suddenly it bursts out of us. The spirit is the answer to us. How do you get to do the leafleting thing without feeling, oh, no, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. So, no! They've stopped. I'd love you to come to this event. And the picture on your face is that you are bricking it. You're standing there in the middle of the town. You have got these leaves. And it's all going, how on earth do you do that? It's the spirit that does it. You can make people do this till the cows come home. But it's the spirit that does it. Suddenly, fill with the spirit. Bring it on. Where are they? It's that sort of stuff. It's just like that. Here's the answer to some of those things. If you are struggling with that, it isn't the Bible that's the problem. Worship the problem. His choice of songs, as it were, your prayer life. It is because you need to be filled with the Spirit. (laughs) So, let's go back to the technical side. When we are led... Uh, Sorry, when we are led by the Spirit, we're not under the punishment or the oppression that the law brings. You see that? Because that's all that he does, isn't it? God didn't pray. (laughs) Didn't give out 35,000 leaflets. (laughs) That's the way that it works. But what happens, it says, says, what happens is that that when the Spirit, uh, it gives us an example, it produces love, we looked at. If you note verse 22, it says, The first and all-compassing fruit of the Spirit is love, which verse 14 says fulfills the whole of the law. We're filled with the Spirit. We love God. It just happens. We're filled with love God. That's, that's how it works. And what does it say at the end of those verses? Against such thing, there is no law. Because it comes from love. In other words... How can you be under the impression of the punishment of the law when the very thing that the law requires you are popping out like fruit on the vine? You walk by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and suddenly, boom! Suddenly, you've got this branch that comes out. Patience. What is that? Where did that come from? I've got another arm. I had two arms, now I've got three. What is that? Patience. Boom! So there it is. You think, what is that? It's been filled with the Spirit. Suddenly, you're walking on, you've got three arms. Doing Tesco's, it makes the shop much easier. Suddenly, filled with the Spirit. 
Suddenly again, you find yourself with the three arm. The patience has come out and you're thinking, hey, I've got patience now. You're pushing the trolley. And not only can you put two hands on it, but the third one called patience is putting the stuff in the trolley. Suddenly, you're working along, filled with the spirit. Boom! Joy! So not only now you've got another arm, you've got another arm over there. So you've got two arms on the trolley. One's put the other one's waving his hand in the air in delight to the Lord because you've grown another arm. What is this? It's the fruit of the Spirit. If it, that's what it is. Boom, 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 boom. They start appearing from nowhere. Suddenly you begin to look like something on some sort of comic thing with all this stuff sprouting from you. See, you do it. Get filled with the Spirit because when you do, when you walk with the Spirit, you nip temptation in the bud. You are free from oppression, from the things that bring you guilt. And suddenly the Spirit pops up with all sorts of fruit that, that come out of your life. It spills out of you. So shall we answer the million dollar question? How do you walk by the Spirit? I don't know whether you like me, but at this point I just... Because loads of preachers say, let the Spirit fall. And I have to admit, I look at that and I think, what do they mean? I used to sit in John Wimber meetings in Brighton amongst 5,000 people and John Wimber would say, the spirit is on the top right-hand corner between L and F over there. And I would crane my neck looking at it thinking, what on earth is the man on about? I couldn't understand. He could understand. I don't think we've ever been in that. You feel frustrated sometimes. You know, when they said, look, let the spirit lead you or the spirit control you. I don't know whether you've ever gone away puzzled from that but I do all the time I've tried you know (laughs) and I don't know whether you do it like me but after two minutes you sort of go (laughs) have you ever done that you're amazing so let's pray for the spirit (laughs) it's just it's because I don't know what I'm doing I just think Nigel you haven't got a clue so (laughs) <laughs> it's just so, I'm just thinking, you are, what are you preaching on this for, Nigel? You know, couldn't somebody else do this? David must have done it better than you last week. And when you look at it, you see the Apostle Paul, and he does do that. And he, why does the Apostle Paul make it so simple? He just, what he says in Ephesians, he says, don't be filled by the, you know, he says, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to go, how? Go on, watch, tell me. You know, what does he do? One of the most shortest, what does the Apostle Paul do? He does these massive doxologies, and then when the bit that you want to know how to go, be filled with spirit. Come on, Paul, fill it out. I think the idea is simple. The more we're full of him, the greater the freedom, the greater the confidence, the greater the liberty, the greater the enjoyment. How do we know that? Because that's the product of wine. It's simply that really, isn't it? How do I know that? I've had a glass or two, haven't you? So how do you do evangelism next? You buy them all a bottle of wine. No, you get... Turn with me to John chapter 7 and verses 37 to 38. It says there, on a particular feast day when they would pour out water ceremonially because they were celebrating the fact that Jesus gave them water on their journey through the wilderness that Jesus pushed through the crowd he was a bit rude 
but he did. He pushed through the crowd. And he shouted, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What might have happened on that day? It's interesting that if anyone had gone up at that point and said, I'd like to drink, he'd have actually said, well, not yet. Can you hang on a bit? You just wait a few minutes. Because he goes on and he says, verse 38, this he spoke concerning the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive. So come and drink, but not yet. And the reason the Spirit was not yet given was that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because the bunch in front of him were not holy enough. He looked at them and thought, nah. Or he looked at them and thought, disciples, go back. Do the training course, then we'll do the spirit thing. He didn't tell them to wait because they weren't ready. He told them to wait because he wasn't ready. And that is very important for us to know. Especially when you feel that I am not ready yet to be filled with the spirit. The issue is not you, the issue is him. He says to them, if you are thirsty and come to me and drink. This he spoke of the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive. So the spirit is not yet given because he is not yet glorified. The fact is right now he is glorified. The fact is that he was speaking about his experience of going through the cross he was speaking of experience of the resurrection. He was, he was talking about his ascension. And then he was talking about his glorification. And it says, he is now glorified. Come to me and drink. But not yet. What did he say to the disciples to do? He said, I want you to wait for the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived. I want you to wait. I want you to go in this upper room and wait. I want you to wait for the fulfillment of that because I need to do some stuff first. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, Shazan. Bang. And you see Peter standing up and preaching. Peter stood up publicly and said, Jesus, whom you crucified, God has now raised up, of whom we are witnesses. He now is ascended to the Father and has what? Shed forth what you now see and hear. The fulfillment has come. He's now glorified. The not yet clause has been fulfilled. And if he's now glorified, then this text is up to date for you and for me. So we can come to this text without a not yet clause that the apostles had. We don't have to wait until, not until they prayed enough. That wasn't the issue. 
Not until they were holy enough. That was not the point. What they were waiting for was the fulfillment of the glorification of Jesus, which has been fulfilled. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why we can receive the Spirit today. Now he's ascended. The Spirit is available. You can leave this meeting this morning, and I say that with confidence, not because of my ability, but because God will fulfill his promises. You can leave this meeting full of the Holy Spirit. Why? He's glorified. He can give the Spirit. So let's just break it up. If anyone is thirsty, he doesn't say this, if anyone's mature, what is that? I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that now. No? Rubbish. You're just old. <laughs> what is that? If anyone is holy. No, that's not true either. If anyone is sinful or whatever, I can't come. What about if anyone is well, not from this particular persuasion? What is that? No, it's not what the Bible says. Read the Bible. It's quite simple. It says, if you are thirsty, you can come doesn't qualify it doesn't qualify you why do you qualify you when the bible doesn't qualify you why are you putting yourself in the category when jesus says why don't you be in this category thirsty what old well get in there just thirsty jesus said that's what we need what does he mean to be thirsty this is a real test he means this i want this more than anything I want this more than... I can't live without this. Me, first. Is that you? Is that your heart? I can't live without this. I want this more than... That's me. I'm thirsty. Thirsty is not... I'll see what Rupert does first. Thirsty is not... Well, actually, I've been in meetings like this for 73 and a half years. That's not thirsty. Thirsty is... Need this. Need this to live. Need this. Can't do without this. That's me. I'm thirsty. We have a peculiar cat. Some people say it reflects my personality. I don't want anything to do with this. We have a little brown bowl that we put by the cat food. Generally, over the week, it gets full of gunge because the cat will not drink out of the bowl. And if you probably noticed, as you have visited us, it does a strange thing, which always doesn't put my reputation well. As, because every now and again, it just jumps into the sink and headbutts the tap. <laughs> because it is thirsty. Now I just wanna, and we have to go and we turn the tap on. And all people sitting in the lounge always think, they never think the cat's mad. They always think that I am. But you see, even the cat has learned what you and I have yet to learn. When I'm, if, I, if I am thirsty, I should come and drink. It's just simple. Be like the cat. Call yourselves Maggie from now on. <laughs> Sophie. That was the other cat. <laughs> Sophie. I've had too many cats. They, in fact, all our cats have done the same thing. Why is that? So if anyone's thirsty, what then? I'm moving on quickly. Just edit that. It says, what do you do? Come to Jesus. I want to invite any one of you who want to be prayed for this morning in a few moments to come to Jesus. I will probably invite you to a place. I will probably lay hands on you or somebody else will. 
But in the end, you are coming to Jesus. Now I say that because there is a huge expectation in Christian circles today in regard to the ministry. The ministry of the, the power evangelist or the power ministry. They put their hands on you, you go boom, you go flying across the, the carpet and all that sort of stuff with your legs and all undignified. That's what you, they'll do. The Bible does not say that. It says come to Jesus. It doesn't say that you go to a ministry. It actually, and I know sometimes you can think, well, even when you're lining up, oh, flipping heck, I didn't get Nigel, I got David Simpkins. Or the other way around. <laughs> it couldn't bother us. Now, I'm talking to this out of experience because when, we were new, when I was a pastor of a New Frontiers church in Lewis, we got invited as, as New Frontiers guys and all the other different charismatic streams to go to, a, a glo- I won't name him, a global uh, South African power ministry in, in, in Wembley thing. So off I trotted, we all went up on the train and we were dead excited because, you know, we were all going to sit there and, the, and you always tell power, tell power ministries because they've always got a better suit than you. They? They, they, just got, they just turned out immaculate and somebody always carries their briefcase and they always have two minders. But so, so when he arrived in the pulpit, this little guy pulled it like that, opened it up and he preached this sermon. And at the end of it, what happened is, and please just catch this because it was just me. I, I'm the sinner in this. You are not. I sinned badly. So I, I go up to this thing and I must admit, I start by being impressed. The guy was impressive. Not only was he big, his suit was impressive, his minders were impressive, his ministry was impressive, and he called people up. And what he said is, I want all the lead pastors to come forward. And we all made a line, like, you know, like this. And there's always the Lloyd thing. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this. The Lloyd thing is that whatever end you go on the line, they always start at the other end. So you sort of, I'll go this end this week. And they start that end. And by the time they get to you, they get about four down and they go off for coffee. And you're, you're doing this. I've stood here for three quarters of an hour like this. What is this? But anyway, so what I did is I thought, I, I, I will edge my way through. So I saw this and I just edged a bit. And I moved my, myself in between two guys on the excuse that they were guys from our region. So I stood by John Groves, who was like, and what happens is that you do the one-eye thing. <laughs> like this. And they start on the other end, and, and they, you know, so they, they start on this end, don't they? And they go like this, and they shove him, and go like this. And, and I'm thinking, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming! Because it's coming like that. And they're going, ta-dong, 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 ta-dong. And like this sort of thing. And I'm just thinking, this, I'm next, I'm next. And I'm thinking that when this guy comes to me, I'm, coming, I'm going to be the Apostle Paul when he comes back. I'm going to get back on the train and I'm going to be raising the dead, healing the sick. And so I'm building myself up into this thing. This guy came to me and he put his head, he put his hand, he didn't put his head on my head. He put, he put his hand on my head with great force. And I don't know whether you've ever felt these when these guys do this. They do that, don't they? They don't put a finger on it. So I'm like this. And they come near to you and they pray the most amazing prayers in your ear roll. The power of God be upon him. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And the funny thing is, he just he put his head on me, he broke my neck, he shouted in my ear roll, then he moved on to John Groves. John Groves went flying. Wadumf! He goes back and he looks along the line and there's me. The, the whole line has gone, this side and that side, and I'm just going with the one eye thing. 
in front of Wembley Stadium. Why couldn't it be here? You know, here is okay. Wembley Stadium, better. Now, what are they doing? The whole lot of them, and they're all doing the sort of bit on the, the, the bit on the, and I'm doing this business. What is that? I have to admit that I went back on the train. I was really angry. I was disappointed. I was angry. And, I, and people kept saying, oh, the blessing of the Lord. And I go, shut your mouth. <laughs> I came to the conclusion that all I had was a hand laid on my head, an earache. That's all that I got. Nothing less, nothing more. Why? Why did that? Because I came to him. I came to a ministry. I did not come to Jesus. And that's the problem. And actually too many people give too many people like him profiles because they come to a ministry. And we're not called to come to a ministry, we're called to come to Jesus. And Jesus, I got my eyes on a specialist who would do it for me, wave a magic wand now. Jesus said, come to me and drink. When I invite you to come forward, you're coming because you want this more than anything. That You can't live without this. But you're coming to him. You are not coming to me. Lastly and finally, it says drink. It doesn't say come and plead. Actually, it doesn't say come and speak in tongues. It says, because tongues is out. And you find that sometimes with charismatic. You're trying to pray. It's like a prayer war. You're praying over them and they're speaking in tongues back louder than you. In the end, you just the two of you just raising your voice as you get louder and louder. No, you come and drink. I know it's a magic trick, but when you're drinking, it's difficult to speak, isn't it? So what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. You come and drink. It just means that you receive. You receive the water in your body. He believes in me, the next phrase says, in other, uh, uh, he that believes in me, the next phrase says, in other words, that we are believing that he will fill us. Again and again. Didn't you not believe in him when you became a Christian? Isn't that what you did? I believed in him. To be filled with the Spirit, you just believe in him. You just say, yeah, I believe that you can fill me. I believe you can do this. It isn't that you were, you were saved once and then you believe then. It is though it's a life of belief. I believe you. I believe you. So we come to him expecting what he will promise that he will do. He will give the spirit to those who ask. That's Luke 11. He will give you good gifts. That's what it says in the Bible. He will give, you, give it to you because that's what it says in the Bible. So we come asking and expecting to receive. So it's quite simple really. We come and drink. Firstly, we come because we want it more than anything else. We come to him. And we come believing that he will do exactly what he has promised he will do. Why? For all the reasons that I've talked to you earlier. For all the reasons. For the very reason that we can't live without him. Would you like to stand?